Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Everybody enjoyed the show on Sunday. Had a lot of fun doing that show. Um, the, one of the big topics was Doug Baldwin and his experience uh, as it pertains to what I would describe as the overstating of racial issues in this country and what can happen when things are taken too far. And um, I still would love to talk to Doug. I sent him another email. Uh, I've reached out to him uh, through some other channels, too. So we'll see if he ends up responding. If not, that's OK. Completely understand. It's up to him Is it as to whether or not he wants to come on my humble little program here. But in the meantime, uh, we've had a little bit of news. Pete Carroll and John Schneider met with the media, as they do every year before or leading up to the draft. And uh, at eight o'clock, we're actually going to speak with Brady Henderson. He's going to join us via Zoom here. And hopefully there won't be any technical <laughs> issues stifling the show here as uh, he does. Usually when I have a guest, I don't um, I, I just begin the show with that guest and away we go. But tonight we're going to do it a little bit differently. But I hear in here in front of me, I have Brady's. Uh, write-up of what was said in the press conference. And I watched some highlights of it today myself. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things we should probably get into, and I've got most of them up on the topic bars there. And the first one is this whole saga with Russell Wilson. You know, we can, as a public and as fans of a team, we can feel a certain way on a given day based on the news and conclude that nothing's going to change and we're always going to feel this way like, oh, new news. I've now adjusted my perspective and away we go and that's where I'm going to stay. And then after a while, things kind of cool down and you think, yeah, maybe we overreacted, maybe we didn't. Well, here's what John Schneider uh, had to say today. He's, I'm sorry, Carol, Pete Carroll had to say today. He said there was some stuff that was said that had to be dealt with, and it has been. So Russ is in a great place right now, and he's been in a great place throughout the offseason. We've communicated throughout all of the things, just like I always have. Right now, he's as jacked up as he's ever been. <laughs> he's in the process of turning over our new offensive stuff uh, that is different from the past and things we need to learn. He's totally after it and doing a good job. His mentality is strong and conditioning is right. Uh, some things were said, things were said, and sometimes you have to deal with stuff. I love when Pete uses the word stuff and things. Like There was some stuff, there was some things, <laughs> uh, and that's how we have to take care of our business. We're in a fantastic place right now and really excited about this team in this season and the draft coming up and all of that. Well, I would expect that, you know, short of anything catastrophic happening, I would expect that kind of commentary, that kind of wording from Pete. That's how things, unless something is 
really wrong, and unless a move, like in this case, say a trade, has actually been made, Pete's never going to say otherwise. And, and I really don't blame him. I mean, what do you expect the guy to say? Well, you know, we came really close to trading him, and I was really pissed off, and but we decided not to. I mean, that's just not how he works. That's not how most coaches work. And even John Schneider added, he said they never actively negotiated with any teams for a possible trade with Russell Wilson. And that he, meaning Russell and the organization, are in a fantastic place. Okay. Well, I believe, I don't think Schneider is lying when he says that they never actively negotiated with other teams, meaning a, yeah, meaning teams called. But Schneider never got as far as to say, OK, well, I'm willing to trade him. How, how high you want to go? What, what draft picks do you want to get me? Like, I believe that it never got to that point. And, and as I said many times, I still think that there's a part of Russ that probably wants out or wants a change whether that change means changing teams or just a change within the team, meaning he wants more say, he wants more protection, more opportunity to throw more. I still believe that that's all still lingering. But I never thought that the Seahawks would want to trade Russell Wilson. I mean, they're not stupid. This whole thing about uh, Pete wanting to have more of a run first attack and get back to running the ball and cut down on the number of turnovers and things like that. I, I still think that he wants to be able to do that, but with Russell Wilson as the quarterback. I don't think he's so foolish as to think, well, my philosophy is going to get us where we need to be and philosophy alone is going to be able to accomplish that. I, I just don't, I don't see that happening at all. I mean, everybody in the world knows that the quarterback is the most important position in all of sports. It just is. And th they've seen what can happen. Take 2011, for example. The year before, they, the year before Russ got here and the year before they actually went to the playoffs, they had a 7-9 record. They were getting better as they went. Some of their younger players at the time, guys like Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, etc., were still growing, but they were pretty darn good. Had, if they had a, a quarterback then that was better than Tavares Jackson, okay, one who could make plays on his own and had the running game, behind him, Marshawn Lynch, etc., they probably would have been a heck of a lot better. If you don't have an excellent quarterback, even if, I mean, even look at the Titans, right? Tannehill's good. I'm not sure what kind of a play, how special a playmaker he is, but with that kind of running game and defense, I know it kind of went south this year, but the past couple of years, you can probably hope to approach the playoffs, but you're never going to dominate doing that. You're just not. And Pete knows that. Pete knows that to get to that next level, you have to have a guy on the field who can go out there and make plays irrespective of what plays are called and what plays are designed and what kind of talent you've surrounded him with. I think that they've got enough talent on this team, don't you? I mean, maybe, yeah, they need another receiver, but I mean, there were, there were 12 and four last year. 
Yeah, I mean, record-wise, how much better can you expect them to be? When they couldn't defend anybody, they could definitely score. And as soon as they could defend, they couldn't score. So it's almost like no matter where they were, they were able to mitigate losses, I guess, by having that kind of balance. And I still think that Russ is the key to all that. So as far as this whole saga goes, some of you are probably wondering, are we still in the middle of this? Like, is it over or... Is, is this rust to another team thing? Is that something we're going to end up revisiting next year? We know that with one year to go on Russell Wilson's contract, his agent, Mark Rogers, is going to start stirring things up. That's just how he works. He always has. The question I'm still wondering about is when Russ went public with the you know, I don't get protected enough. We need more players. And uh, the the leak that came out about him throwing a tantrum in a meeting prior to the Arizona Thursday night game. Was that stuff leaked with any purpose? Like, was the point of that to get the Seahawks' attention and to get them to capitulate to his wants and needs? Because if it wasn't, then I'm not really sure what it was for. Was it just was it just a guy talking? When I say a guy, I mean Russell. Was it just a guy saying what he feels? I mean, do we, the media and fans, read way too much into everything that somebody says? Because Russell, remember, sometimes I think that's the case. But Russell is a calculating guy. He's a smart guy. He knows that every, every, I guess every statement that he makes with respect to football and the way he feels about the team is going to be looked at a certain way. And he's not going to be careless about airing out grievances. He's not just going to say, oh, like, like Aaron Rodgers by now. When his team loses, you can expect him to go out there and say X, Y, and Z. And people read into it, but we know he's going to stay where he is. Okay. With Russell Wilson, we haven't really been down this road so many times where we know what his speech indicates. Last time around, two years ago, he was very clear. He said, if we don't get a deal done by April, whatever the day was, which was like, you know, a three-week period, then we're not talking about re-upping. He was very clear. He said it. (laughs) And they made a deal. So this time around, it's like, is... Was the message just a direct commentary that he wants more protection and that's it? Or was it something else? I'm still not really clear on that. Now, if things have improved since then, like Pete Carroll said that they have and uh, John Schneider said that they have, to what extent have they improved and what specifically do they mean? Like, did, did Pete Carroll manage to successfully sell Russell on the idea that what they're going to be doing next year 
offensively is something that Russ is going to enjoy, be comfortable with, be able to buy into. It sounds like that's the case. But you never really know. Like when Pete and Russ have these meetings or when they talk, maybe they're not in the same room. Maybe they talk on the phone. I don't know. You know, when they get off the phone, Pete may hang up and say, well, that went pretty well. I got my message across. I think Russ digs it. Okay, good. And Russ may hang up the phone and say, okay, that's good enough for now, but I'm still not really sure. You know, I get the feeling that the way this season, this is kind of what I've said all along. The way this season plays out is going to dictate what Russell wants to do. I mean, they can have a ton of success because of him. They can have a ton of success because of Pete and not him. They could lose because of him. They could lose and he could still play well. Like there's, those are already four scenarios and there's probably a whole bunch more that I haven't even gotten to or thought of. Some of which might make him want to stay here some of which might make him want to try something somewhere else. And remember, the, the Seahawks don't have a first-round pick this year. They don't have one next year. So trading Russell Wilson in terms of just his value, I would think would, be, would still very much be an enticing prospect for the Seahawks in the event that things don't go well this year. I think they will. Mind you, I'm not I'm not in any way pessimistic about this team. I'm just not. I mean, is I don't see why they would regress. I mean, I guess we could go play by player by player, but I expect the linebackers to be better. I think Jordan Brooks turned out to be a heck of a pick. Jamal Adams, you know, they, they definitely have a need at corner, but even last year, that situation fixed itself. And that's another thing going into the year, even going into the summer and just taking a look at what the Seahawks have done draft wise and in the off season, it sounds like a cliche, but the season is not one or, or the, or the a championship is not one in the off season. You have to go out there and let the story of each season take shape. And that's what happened last year. They started off, great passing offense, terrible defense all around, and eventually, defensively, with just a key moves, with a couple of key moves, excuse me, DJ Reed being one of them, everything just fell into place. Schedule turned favorable at one point, yes, no doubt, but you have to think that they would have done better in the beginning of the year had they been able to perform like they did at the end of the year. So it's not like the, the team is going to be built during the draft, in the offseason, free agency, and then that's it. We've seen Seahawk teams start slow and develop incredibly well and become a team, gel as a team, and play their best football before. 
Now, last year, unfortunately, the offense and the defense were like two ships passing one another in the night. And they never, you know what, I, I think we can safely say that we never saw the best possible Seahawk team last year. It never happened because the defense never played its best while the offense was playing its best. And I, I refuse to accept the idea that those two things are at odds with one another and kind of cancel each other out. Like you can't play great defense if you're playing great offense and vice versa. I just don't believe that. So that's what we're going for this year. Has it been an exciting offseason? Well, yeah. Thank you to Russell Wilson for giving us the quotes that he did because at least it was something for us to talk about, if nothing else. And I don't think it was all fake. Like I tweeted out this afternoon, you know, was it just a scam on the part of the media? I don't think it was. I really don't. I mean, I bought into it. So, I mean... (laughs) I can't, you know, point the finger at anybody in the media, individually or collectively, and say, oh, you guys just stirred this up. I, I, I bought into it, too, and still do, to a degree. But I think it's still to be determined whether or not Russ will be here. Does he feel better at the moment? Maybe. Maybe. But it's, but it's still kind of a wait-and-see thing. And his contract is going to be an issue next offseason. Even, even if he's happy as a clam here, right? Even if there was no, no hint of trouble between he and the team. But, you know, I, I want everybody to remember that between Pete Carroll, John Schneider, and Russell Wilson, the three of them have been together for, this is like, this is year nine, right? 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. This is year nine. That's a long time, even for two people, whether it's the GM and the coach, GM and the, and the quarterback, quarterback and the coach. That's a long time for three people of such high power to be coexisting and functioning at a high level so harmoniously. I mean, Whoever wants to criticize the Seahawks for not having gotten as far as they, maybe you think they should have, that's fine. They're not perfect. But for the three of those guys to be the people that they are, to not have made any major, major mistake. I'm going to leave out the Super Bowl, the throw in the pass because that's different. <laughs> uh For them to still be, I mean, that is really tough to do. I mean, in today's age, whether it's you're in corporate America or you're in a band or you're in, you know, you're part of a football team, baseball team. It's really tough to stay in one place for too long because nowadays everything is about when am I going to get mine? And I'll admit to being or I will admit to have participated in such thinking myself, right? I've worked really hard for you. When are you going to give me mine? And for three, I mean, look, Schneider just turned down a deal from the Lions this offseason. He wanted to stay here. You know, Pete's obviously the one who's at the top of the chain. But, you know, for Russ to, for Russ to either privately or publicly wonder about his future, I mean, how could you blame him? 
And the fact that there's any discussion about this just isn't isn't surprising to me. It just isn't. You know, 95 Cody says on the chat here, uh, it was the puppet master Mark Rogers at work stirring up drama. Any attention is good attention. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I wonder sometimes if the comments that Russell makes publicly have any effect on Pete and John and their actions or their or the course that they're that they're planning on taking. Like when they read stuff in the media that he said and then they talk to him, do they think, hmm, we should rethink what we're doing? I mean, they might. It's possible. Everybody, everybody has to react at some point. But so I guess in that sense, if Russ figures he needs to, you know, light a fire under the team every once in a while, just to, you know, just to make sure that they still want him around or that they still value him. I guess I don't really blame him. <laughs> Point being, do I think that this offseason and all the talk we've had about this stuff was just one big smokescreen? No, I don't. I think there was something to it. And I still think that. But if Pete and John are willing to go public right now and say that things are okay, wink, wink, like okay enough to go forward with this season, I'll believe them. I mean, you've got Kyle Shanahan being asked about Jimmy Garoppolo and will he be a member of the team? And he, and he responds by saying, oh, I don't know. I don't know if we're, if we're all going to be alive this weekend. I mean, which basically means no, or we're trying our damnedest to trade him. That's not what I'm hearing from Pete Carroll here. All right, before we uh, get Brady on the line here, I just want to let everybody know um, things are going super well with the show. The audio-only podcast form is available. Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Just, just search my name. You can Google it and probably find it. Uh, but we're, we're happy to be with Believe Podcast Network. They're doing a tremendous job for the show here. So, you know, if you want to just jump in the car, Subscribe to the show, pop it on. It'll play automatically. Probably be a heck of a lot easier for you. But if you wish to subscribe to the Twitch channel, that's great too. You can click on the subscribe button. It's only a couple of bucks. And every dollar goes, or excuse me, for every subscription, one dollar of that subscription goes to the Seattle Humane Society, which is a big, big, big deal to me. You know, I, I was driving around yesterday and, uh, I mean, you guys know how it is in certain areas in this town, you know, there's trailers everywhere, like lined up along the side of the street in certain areas. And, oh God, I see a little dog wandering around. And the first thing I think is, is that dog being fed enough, you know, cause look, I care, I care genuinely about people and I want every person to be Okay. But I want our dogs and our animals, cats, whatever it is, to also be okay. I mean, they're, 
they're helpless. They're defenseless, right? I mean, a person can figure out one way or another to feed his or herself. An animal cannot. And it's so important to me that these animals, these animals that are either uh, strays or they're, they're, they've been neglected, whatever the situation, it's so important to me that they get taken care of. Because if I could, I would take care of every one of them myself. I really mean that. They bring so much love into our lives and they improve them in ways that we probably, that really aren't even quantifiable. So for anybody who uh, wishes to get on that bandwagon and jump aboard, give a dollar to some Seattle Humane Society, that's great if you want to give directly to them. But if you make a subscription to this show, uh, we give them a dollar. And as you can see up there on the bar, uh, we are up to $1,225 with a goal of 2000 So we're... Um, what is that? Subtra quick subtraction. $875 away? Is it, or no, $725 away. See, I can't even do it. <laughs> and thanks to A. Yellen at $73.91, who uh, just gifted a couple of subs to some other people. You can do that, too. I mean, if you don't want to subscribe for yourself and you think it's annoying, <laughs> you can sub you can give subscriptions to other people. That's always cool, too. Uh, you can go and check out who my followers are, who the, who the subscribers are, and you can gift them that way, too, as well. All right, let me see if Brady is rocking. No, he's not there yet. Okay, so um, let's talk about John Schneider's domestic violence stance real quick as it pertains to the Alden Smith thing. Uh, okay, he said... Asked about Smith's past, because Smith was, he had to turn himself in second degree battery for choking somebody. And he's, had, well, he's already had innumerable problems. But uh, Schneider said he, or he alluded to a blanket statement he made years ago about how the Seahawks would avoid players involved in such incidents and says he's since learned that every situation should be treated individually. Well, I'm glad to hear him say that. I mean, look, ideally, Ideally, nobody would ever commit domestic violence. Ideally, nobody would ever be racist. Ideally, nobody would ever drive drunk. But those things are probably not ever going to end. We're not ever going to get those numbers down to zero. So the question is, do people who commit those offenses still have a place in our society? Well, like Schneider said there, Every case needs to be addressed individually. And he made the mistake many years ago of saying, well, we're not going to have uh, you know, anybody who's, who's committed domestic violence on this team. And then, you've, of course, Frank Clark came in later. Now, nothing was ever proven there, but there were allegations, etc. And he got you know, destroyed, or he, meaning John Schneider, got destroyed over that. You know, with Alden Smith, a guy that, at least on the on the surface, appeared to have, I don't know, addressed his situation, improved himself, maybe learned from his mistakes. That looked like a situation that football teams were willing to reinvest in. The Cowboys definitely did, and the Seahawks were willing to this year. I think that they had every right to free of criticism for these other issues. Because it's important that we don't look unless somebody is a constant danger to society. And believe me, Alden Smith might be. He might be one of those guys. 
Okay, I mean, look, I want the punishment to fit the crime, but maybe he's one of those guys that does need to be locked away from society because he poses a, a nonstop threat. But if somebody does not pose an ongoing threat to the rest of us, and they've proven that over time they're willing to abide by the guidelines of civility that we've established as human beings. I'm not saying that you completely forgive and forget what they've done, but I don't want them to be outcasts from society to the point where they have to turn to like illegal means in order to support themselves. Alden Smith is a very talented football player. And in order to live a good life, he's, he has to be able to play football to do that. Now, if he keeps on offending and offending and offending, I don't, I'm not going to object to him being thrown out of the league. In fact, I'm not really sure how I feel about that right now, but I'm glad that John Schneider has at least admitted because maybe this will get people off his case. He's admitted that every situation needs to be handled differently. It wasn't like Alden Smith went out in December, committed this act where he choked somebody and then John Schneider decided to sign him. Or at least, you know, provided that Schneider knew about it. So now we'll see. I mean, look, now we'll see what they do. I don't know. But I think that, that that's a really important thing that should not be overlooked. And this goes for every area of, of our society. Case by case. How foolish would it be if I said, well, Alden Smith, you know, he, uh, you know, he commits these crimes and who is the other guy? Greg Hardy. He commits all these crimes and uh, Tyreek Hill. If I said that and then followed it up with all football players are abusers or criminals. I mean, how how silly a statement would that be? Sure, a lot of them do, but that doesn't mean they all do. And it doesn't even mean that the overwhelming percentage of them do. It's unfair to characterize other people within a group by the behavior of a few. Wink, wink, police officers. Okay, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent today, but I saw a couple of people who were working at a restaurant or maybe it was a coffee bar on 45th Street today in Seattle who refused, not only refused to serve police officers, but yelled at them and called them pieces of shit and insisted that they leave and wouldn't serve them. Not good. Not a good place to be. That, that will in no way make our country better and will in no way help us to understand what each other are going through or help us to heal and move on and hopefully make things better all around. It will not help. So whether you're trying to make negative blanket statements about people or positive ones, i.e. I'll never you know, sign a domestic abuser, I'll never sign this guy, never sign that guy, case by case. Don't make blank, uh, blanket statements. 
I know it's really hard to not do. Sometimes you see player after player after player after player. But you have to take into account statistically the fact that there are so many football players that to take even a dozen of them who have been offenders and say, well, they're all like that, can't do that. Can't do that with football players. Can't do it with police officers. Can't do it with activists. Can't do it with anybody. You cannot do it that way. We're people. We're not just we're not just members of groups that have similar tendencies. Are there different cultures? Yeah. Do cultures have influence on behavior? Yes, absolutely. But we need to give each other the benefit of the doubt individually before we start making these kind of judgments. All right, I'm going to bring in Brady. Let's see if this if this actually works. Let's see how uh Seamless I can be about this. Uh, let's see here. Joining, joining, joining. There's Brady. Can't hear me yet. That's okay. Can you hear me now, Brady? I got you. Can you hear me, Tommy? I, I sure can. Let me get you on the screen. Boom, there you are. That was relatively painless. I like the uh, sign, Saturday Night's Main Event. That reminds me of uh, one of my, and I think our favorite movie lines from Goodfellas, you know which one I'm talking about. Which one is that? Saturday night was for the wives, but Friday night at the Copa. <laughs> that was for the girlfriends. Jesus. What an existence, man. You know? <laughs> I mean, look, I'm not saying I've often asked myself, like, if I if I lived such a life that where I had that kind of power to be able to just do whatever the hell I wanted, regardless of who it affects, like, would I even go in that direction? I think the answer is a resounding no. I would not do that. But man, how could you even get away with things like that nowadays? Like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go out here and like have nobody discover the fact that you're out with your girlfriend or whatever. I have, I have no idea how how people. I don't do know. I, I think I think that's maybe why the uh, the American gangster movies are so interesting, just because it's such a, a impossible lifestyle to imagine for the average person. Right. I mean, at some point you need to. There's like a there's a threshold you cross where you say, all right, this is my life. And you're willing to accept all of these sorts of like modes of behavior that are completely, you know, they defy the laws of civility. And you just sort of, I guess what it teaches us is that the human mind is capable to acclimating to any situation, no matter how strange it may seem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, I mean, I don't even think that that, um, that scene or that line was intended to be funny, but it was just one of those great moments, like an unintentional humor. And I, I guess I don't really know why I've always found it to be so funny. I, mean, I don't know. I, is, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it around the part of the movie where there's that really uncomfortable scene where, uh, where Ray Liotta's character calls Joe Pesci's character funny. And then it's sort of like the, you know, the record, you know, comes to a screeching halt. And yep. it's, Joe Pesci says that line funny like a clown. I like I amuse you, like I'm your entertainment. And then uh, they all bust out laughing. So yeah, I mean, well, speaking, you know, I may actually get to this later because I I had it on the list because I <laughs> I saw that movie uh, Godzilla versus Kong the other day. Have you seen this thing? No. What compelled you to watch that? 
Uh, it took some arm twisting. <laughs> it was, you know why, the, the reason why I was willing to watch it was because I don't normally watch movies like that. I don't, I don't like refuse to, but it's one of those things I, I just don't get around to. Um, yeah. And I just said to myself over and over and over again, like, is the main attraction to to watching a movie or or hearing any story just to stretch the bounds of your own like tolerance for different scenarios? I mean, when you watch a movie, we all insert ourselves into different roles, right? You watch Rocky and you're like, yeah, man, I want to be the guy who's beating up the Russian or, or you're like, whatever it is. Or I want to be the guy who's trying to kill Godzilla or I want to be the guy who's, you know, hunting down the criminal or, or something like that. Like that, that to me is what it's about. But then I watch a movie like Godzilla and Kong and I think, okay, what is the attraction here? Like, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand at all what anybody gets out of a movie like that, let alone me. That's a really good question. I, I guess I've never really thought of, of movies like that and, and why they appeal to you. And, and maybe one reason is, you know, for some people, it's just a complete, complete escape from reality. And for, you know, sort of the fantasy sci-fi genres mm. like that, you, I mean, you're just totally getting out of the actual, you know, real world. I think on the other side of that, like I, I was talking with somebody today about how much I, I like the series True Detective. Mm. Uh, and I think there's something to what you said about how you can put yourself in the, the, the shoes of the characters in the, in the movie, or in this case, a show. And I never really thought about that, but maybe that's a good point. Maybe that's why I like true detective because, you know, there is some, a, a, a tiny, tiny bit of overlap between what a, a detective does and what a reporter does. Obviously their oh, yeah. detective is, you know, uh, investigating much more important things than, uh, you know, uh, issues that a quarterback is having with his, you know, NFL team or what have you, but um, you know, maybe, maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's why I like True Detective, and, and maybe because, like you said, it's you're able to put yourself uh, in in the the shoes of the main characters. Well, somebody you know, uh, you know, ninety five Cody says on the chat here, it's just fun to turn your brain off sometimes, and like I don't disagree with that. There, there does come a point in the day where I think, okay, whatever I'm going to do next needs to be mindless. <laughs> that does happen. But when, when I watch, when I decide to spend two hours of my day committed to something, anything, whether it's a movie or whatever, I need to be engaged somehow, you know? And I've always yeah. thought of, I always thought like when I get bored, like for not like in a day, but for maybe stretches of time. So I like to think of my life sometimes as a movie in which I'm the central character because it makes me feel like, oh, like this is a story and it's leading somewhere. And my, the people that I know or I come in contact with are all characters in it. And how would if it were a movie, how would that central character like handle these interactions? Like, do you ever do that? Like because life, all of our lives are stories. So why shouldn't they be thought of as movies? Sometimes I think about if, if there was like a, a story about my life and I don't, I don't know why anybody would ever make that story. Cause my life's <laughs> not I think about what songs would play in like certain montages yeah. of, uh, during parts of that movie. <laughs> you know, if it's like a song that really connects with me, then I would, I would insist on, okay, this song's got to go here. You know, while we're yep. playing beach volleyball in Columbia, you, you got to play, uh, you got to play the, the song from Top Gun. 
TikTok. Yeah, exactly. I, I usually go with like night fever. You know, like when we used to go out all the time, like, I'd, you know, I'd strut up to the line at the door and be like, dun, 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 dun. Yep. <laughs> oh, God. Russell Wilson's mo- uh, life could be a story or a uh, a movie at some point. Should something yeah, really I crazy happen. Yeah, people would actually watch a movie about, unlike me. You wouldn't? Oh, no, no. I, I'd watch a movie about you, maybe. Um, who would play the character of Brady Henderson in the movie about Russell Wilson would be the question. Maybe we can think about that for another time. Did you come away? I, I've already been talking for about a half an hour here before you came on. But did you come away from the press conference with Schneider and Carol thinking this whole thing with Russ was much ado about nothing? Or did you think like, OK, we're just basically where I, where I thought we were going to be? Like, what did you take from that today? The way they addressed it. Yeah, I, I did not have the much ado about nothing um, thought. Uh, I did not have that thought. I, I I felt like they handled it the way that I, I thought they would, um, which was to downplay it and to say that, you know, talk about it as something in the past. Um, you know, it really just, it does them no good to sit up there and tell us everything that happened in, in detail and in exact detail of what happened. It doesn't do them any good to, to talk about, you know, how frustrated they might've been or how, um, you know, how upset they might've been at the way Wilson handled that. It doesn't do them any good to, to talk about what conversations they had with teams uh, about a possible trade, you know, Pete Carroll's, uh, and, and this came up during the press conference, but Pete Carroll's number one rule is, is to always protect the team. Mm. And I think because of that, you have heard over the years, you've heard him say things that cover for guys, um, even to the point of, of sometimes him, Carroll saying things that make you look at him like, what? I'm not saying that um, I'm not saying that necessarily happened today. I just think that, you know, there's, there's ways that you can, word things and, and phrase things in a way that kind of accomplishes a couple goals. And I'll, I'll give you an example from something that they said today, something that Carol said today. Um, if I could pull it up from the story I wrote, um, you know, he, one of the questions he was asked was, you know, whether or not Wilson violated the number one rule that I just mentioned, which yeah. is to protect the team. And, you know, he kind of, he, he kind of talked around it for a little bit, and he said that, that Wilson's comments challenged that rule. They said, you know, the conversation is out there. I'm quoting Carol now. The conversation is out there that we wish we didn't have to be sharing with the world and all of that. You never get to the clarity and the essence of it when you have to operate through the media. That's why we tried to go really quiet and all of that. So I think what Carol accomplishes by saying that and by saying it the way he said it was that he, he says that, he, he regrets what Wilson said. He, re- he regrets Wilson handling that situ- situation the way he did. But nowhere in there does it does it give a reader or a listener the impression that, you know, he's calling Wilson to the carpet and that, you know, they're giving him some sort of public spanking and admonishing him over that because <laughs> it doesn't do them any good. Uh, you know, it, it just doesn't. It, no, it doesn't. Would you come away from this offseason, though, thinking that, Russ was intentional about making those public comments to try to nudge the Seahawks along? Or do you think they were just, you know, just his thoughts talking about the offensive line specifically in the protection? Were they just, were they just one man's thoughts when asked or was he, was there an agenda there? 
Oh, I, I think it was clearly intentional and very oh, intentional. Uh, okay, so did the Seahawks get that message then? Do you think? Get the message that he wanted, that he wants better pass protection? Is that what you mean? Yeah, and, and the things about, I mean, I know that he didn't say this, but there was the story about how he uh, maybe threw a fit before the game against Arizona, before that Thursday night game or whatever. Yeah. I mean, those two things right there, the whole the whole approach to, you know, maybe not throwing as much or new offense or whatever it is. The idea that, that Russell and Pete are at odds about this. And now, you know, Pete comes out and says, oh, he's as jacked up as he's ever been and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, everything's good. I come away just thinking that this problem is on hold for now. I think, yeah, I, I think that that's, I, I think that that's, that's, that may be a fair way of looking at it. You know, I, I don't think, you know, if you were were to hear what Carol said about it, read what he said about it, you would you would you could come away with the impression that everything is now fine, and then this is all entirely in the past. But I I, I don't think that that's the case. I, I think that I think yeah, like you said, this being on hold. I think that that may be a good way of describing it. You know, if this was about more than one player, you know, if this was about you know more than one player. Um, or I'm sorry, if this was only about one player, you know, one offensive lineman, then yeah, it may have been resolved when they traded for Gabe Jackson. This was about more than a couple players, you know, maybe Gerald Everett and Gabe Jackson. This was about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, you know, there were the two issues that he voiced publicly, one being all the hits he's taken, the other being his perceived lack of say uh, in personnel decisions relative to what Tom Brady and other top quarterbacks have. But from what I understand, I mean, there's more to it than that. There, his frustrations went beyond that. And one of them is, you know, one thing that you and I and everybody has discussed a lot of, which is the offense and the fact that he wants more of the offense to go through him. And you referenced the story about him uh, storming out of a meeting before the Arizona game in, in November of last season. From what I understand, that's true. That was reported in The Athletic, and, and I have since confirmed that. Um, not Not saying that they're – Reporting needs my confirmation, but I'm saying I, I've, heard no, I, I've heard that separately from, from I understand. Uh, yeah, from a source. And so um, that was from what I understand, that was about, you know, he he didn't feel like his suggestions on how to fix their offense, which was sputtering at the time. He didn't feel like his suggestions were being considered. And so um, it's this was this was about more than just one player, and so to say that oh well they signed Gabe Jackson or they added uh, you know Gerald Everett in free agency, um, I, I think there's still a long ways to go. But I, it definitely seems like those the moves they made in free agency helped. Um, it's it sounds like he has had some productive conversations with Pete Carroll, so certainly the arrow seems to be pointing um, in in a pretty good direction, and they seem to definitely be in a much better place than they were two months ago. I mean, you've seen Wilson, you know, celebrate every guy that they've signed or, or re-signed. He's celebrated them on Twitter. From what I understand, he was active in trying to, to recruit Chris Carson back to Seattle when Carson was sitting out there on the free agent market for a few days. And it, and it really looked like Seattle had a chance to bring him back. So he's certainly engaged. You know, the other thing about this, Tom is, and I'm sorry, I'm rambling here. I'll no. try to wrap it up, but th- there's, there's always, th- there's multiple questions i think within the whole umbrella of the russell wilson situation there's in you know one thing that you said just kind of sparked my I, I my thought on this again is that there's the question of does he want to be traded and there's a question of is he happy and i mm. think that you know i think that he can be unhappy 
but maybe that unhappiness doesn't rise to the level of him wanting to be traded or demanding, you know, to be traded. And so um, I think that, you know, I think where things stand now, I think they're in a better place uh, than they were. But again, part of his frustrations have been the way that he's used in their offense. And so I still think you kind of have to wait and see how that plays out this season. Yeah. It's a great point because being unhappy is one, like whether it's our jobs our relationship, the town we live in, whatever. like we can all be unhappy, right? At times, like, or, or even for a sustained amount of time. But when you ask yourself, okay, would I be better off leaving and making that drastic a change? Like the answer is usually no, unless something is just severely wrong. I never got that sense here, which is why I always thought that the way that 2021 plays out on the field will probably have a lot to do with what Russ wants to do next, whether it's stay here, keep things the same, stay here and try to change things on his terms or want to go somewhere else. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. And it goes beyond, I think, just wins and losses. I think it has to do with philosophy, play calling, his own play, etc. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. But I, I want to jump into this issue of quarterback input real quick because now Kyler Murray is saying, I don't know why I wouldn't have an influence in draft decisions. I feel like when teams, if or when teams open up that can of worms and they start letting players in on personnel decisions, something that most players don't know anything about, they don't know what kind of work goes into that. I mean, it's one thing to like job shadow, but it's another thing to like invite the quarterback to the table and say, hey, what do you want to do at defensive tackle? Like, I, I feel like when you let that guy in, all of a sudden now you're opening up, you're allowing for the potential for a, a Russell Wilson to throw a fit should his input not be received properly or whatever. Do you think that most... Do you think we're going to see this trend more and more where quarterbacks get that kind of input or at least demand it? I could see that. Yeah. I mean, the, this, the conversation is out there, I think more than it has been just with, with Russell Wilson kind of coming out and saying that he wants more of that. And so yeah, I could see other quarterbacks saying, yeah, I want that. You know, now the difference between, um, you know, Russell Wilson and, and, a lot of other quarterbacks is that Wilson's been in the league for nine years. He's mm -hmm. won a Super Bowl. He's played at an MVP level. And so I think it's one thing for him to expect, um, you know, that place at the table. Kyler Murray, I, I, I think if, I, I don't know if he's necessarily earned that or at least earned it to the same degree that Wilson has. And I, yeah, also, I, don't agree. Think, I also don't think that Wilson has, um, you know, he, he's sort of referencing Tom Brady here. Tom Brady's won seven Super Bowls, whatever it is. He's been in the league for 20 years. And um, so, I mean, it, it it's a different situation. I, I know what the Seahawks would say in an honest moment if, if that conversation came up with Russell. Um, and from the sounds of it, Pete Carroll said today that Wilson has never demanded that he have more say in personnel decisions. He also said that, you know, he's – he's regularly seeks input from Russell and from other players on that. You know, from what I understand, Wilson has, you know, long been – um, you know, part of part of that, I guess he, he, he's a guy who really gives input. I'd yeah. Say that. Well, yeah. I mean, look, there's input and there's input. When your boss comes in the room and says, "Hey, Brady, I just need a quick thought on this," blah blah blah, and 
there's a difference between that and Brady, I need you to start attending sales meetings because I need you to tell, you know, I need to know, you know, what you want to do. I mean, place at the table, place at the table. That's, that's <laughs> one, right. That's one thing. But I think what the player needs to realize, whether it's Kyler Murray, a young player, or Russell Wilson, a proven veteran, is that once you are at the table and you're part of that, like, infrastructure, it's not all about you. Like, there may, you may end up hearing things in those meetings that you don't like. Right. Because they're being players are being talked about and they're being talked about very openly. So I think these players, whether Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, like they need to have the maturity to show that they can handle that kind of responsibility. It's not just a question of, well, I played really well, so I earned it. What do you think about that? Yeah. And I think that there's. Look, I don't think anybody really knows. Like, I don't know if Russell necessarily knows exactly to what degree Tom Brady has that say in Tampa Bay. And I've said this before. It's, it's not a coincidence at all. Um, why Wilson's comments came out when they did remember this was early February, right after the Super Bowl, which he attended and he's watching the Super Bowl. He's watching Tom Brady hardly get touched that whole game. And he's watching Patrick Mahomes running for his life the whole game. And he, and he sees that Tom Brady's team probably not coincidentally won that game. And he, I think he was also looking at the fact that, you know, Brady, um, you know, that Super Bowl team was partly built with guys that Brady, to some degree, helped recruit to Tampa Bay. Rob Gronkowski being one of them. Brady, um, you know, from, I believe, was influential in getting Antonio Brown there. Remember, Bruce Arians said at one point when, when Antonio Brown was unsigned, he said, you know, that's not a guy that would that would fit with our team. Or I'm paraphrasing what he said there, mm-hmm. but... You know, it really seems like Brady had some influence there, and so, but we we don't know we don't know what you know what the quarterback says, how much influence he had. The other, what I, the point I was going to make is that uh, I think in an honest moment, if this really came to a head, the Seahawks might say might tell Wilson, well, it's a little bit easier for the Buccaneers to to sign guys that Brady wants when Brady's making twenty five million dollars yeah. a year. <laughs> There's, yeah. There's an argument of it's not that simple as just saying, yeah, we'll, we'll get whoever you want. And, you know, he's, I think a comment that Wilson made around that when he was voicing that particular uh, issue was about how he he's been to pro bowls and he's been around guys and he knows kind of how guys are wired. And that's true. He's, he's been in the huddle with those guys. He's been on the field with a lot of those guys. But if you're making a pro bowl, chances are you're probably not going to come cheap. And so it, there's yeah. just a, you know, it's just not as simple as saying, yeah, you can sign whoever the quarterback wants. Do you have time for just two more quick questions here? Yeah. One on one on Alden Smith and one on uh, Jamal Adams. Uh, maybe the draft, but the Jamal Adams might, thing might even kind of overlap with that. So I got time, so go ahead, Tom. Okay, cool. Um, the the comment that Schneider made about I, – I didn't get the exact quote. I just saw in your article – uh, asked about Smith, meaning Alden Smith's past, which includes a domestic violence allegation. Schneider alluded to a blanket statement he made years ago about how the Seahawks would avoid players involved in such incidents and says he's learned that every situation should be treated individually. Do you think that that's something that, um, had he said it earlier, say 
I don't know, right after Frank Clark, drafting Frank Clark, that that would have maybe stopped all the questions that he constantly gets on that issue and that statement that he made years ago? Yeah, I think so, because every time they sign a player with any sort of past connection to um, any any similar incident that is... Criminality, you know, yeah. Yeah, it gets, it gets thrown back in his face. And he, I, I can't remember exactly when the comment was, and I can't remember exactly how he how he worded it, but he was effectively saying that, you know, that that is kind of a deal breaker for the Seahawks, is, is a guy who has hit a woman or has, has been involved in a situation like that. And the point he has that he made today was that you know, it really sounds like he regrets making a blanket statement like that and, and lumping all of those in as equal situations. And, and the point he made was that, you, you know, they've, they've got to, um, you know, treat those situations individually and investigate them individually. And it, that that's, you know, that's what they've done. You know, the, the Frank Clark situation would fall under that. Yeah. Um, Jaron Reed was, was accused of, of uh, domestic violence. Um, you know, of a, there was an incident from, I think, 2017 in which, you know, that, that was the incident that got him suspended for uh, the first few games of, I think, the 2019 season. And so, and they stuck by him. And so um, he, he's kind of saying, I think what he said today is really, he's explaining the position that they've taken over the last few years, which is that they treat all of those situations uh, individually. Right. I mean, there's so many variables. Is the guy already on my team? Is it an allegation as opposed to being proven? Like, you know, how long ago did it happen? I mean, there's just so many ways it could go. I mean, on the other hand, I can see how a general manager might look at the Kansas City Chiefs and say, well, look at Tyreek Hill. Look at look at all the stuff he's doing. Look at what he's been accused of. Look at what we actually know about him. And there they and away they go. You know, to all this success, like, what am I supposed to do? I can't make blanket statements like that and still operate. Can you can you say that part again? I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure what. Well, I guess I guess what I mean is that, like, there are players who are on teams who have either gotten away with things who have not been punished to take a Tyree kill, for example, and they go on to flourish in the league and they help their teams to the extent that a Tyree kill has. And, but if you're a general manager and you've made a blanket statement and you say, I'm not going near that. I mean, that could affect you competitively, unfortunate as that is. So I'd be actually, I'd be surprised if we heard other general managers speaking in those terms, would you? Yeah. Yeah, I would. And, and, you know, I, again, I don't know exactly when the, when he made the comment or what sparked the comment. It may have been when it may have been around the time of the Ray Rice incident. I, yeah, I don't know. I think it might've been, that might've been it. And so, um, you know, they've, they, they have obviously, you know, acquired players with, again, some degree of, of that type of issue in their past. Alton Robinson, their fifth round pick, uh, last year, he was involved in an incident, I think, in high school that um, it, it was it was nowhere near to the degree of, of the, the things that we're talking about. But it was, I think, classified uh, as a domestic violence incident because there, you know, I think that uh, I'm, I'm kind of speaking at a at a school here. Uh, so I don't remember the exact details of it, but um, it was something that the organization was comfortable with. From what I understand, they ran it by Jody Allen, the de facto owner. And Jody Allen was comfortable with it. And, and that was the reason why he was available to them in the fifth round. And so I think the lesson here is that it's, again, they're, they're not treating, you know, if they see a player 
with domestic violence and his name in the headline and the words domestic violence, they don't view that as an automatic you're out. Yeah, right. So he said that he couldn't discuss the or Schneider said that he couldn't discuss the arrest. Um, I'm not really sure why he can't, but does the fact that he's not or that he hasn't been cut? What does that tell you about his future with Seattle? I think that they're taking the same approach that they took last year around this time, actually, with Quentin Dunbar. I remember he was mm. you know, the warrant went out for Quentin Dunbar's arrest in May. Um, and I think there was probably people at the time that thought, well, you know, the allegations are out there. The allegations are that he and DeAndre Baker, you know, robbed uh, this place at, at gunpoint. And that I think a lot of people probably assumed that because of the nature of those allegations that the Seahawks would you know, wash their hands of Quentin Dunbar right away and move on from him. And they didn't. And it ended up, you know, we all know how that played out. The he the charges were dropped against Dunbar because of insufficient evidence. Um, and he ended up playing for them last season. And so not to play, you know, not to like play the arbiter of what is a more serious uh, crime there. But yeah. if they stood by Quentin Dunbar uh, over that situation, then I imagine that they're going to do the same with, with Alden Smith. Now, you know, Alden Smith certainly has, um, there's certainly a lot more history there. Um, and so the, you're not talking about the, the same individuals, but at the same, you know, they also, we also just saw what happened with Aaron Donald and, and the situation there. He was accused of something and then it comes out. That guy took uh, it back. Yeah. yeah. Video evidence shows that he didn't do what he was accused of. And so um, I, I just, I, I don't know if, if they stood by Quentin Dunbar and let all of that play out. Uh, legally, I don't know why they wouldn't do the same with Alden Smith. Yeah, I mean that's. I think it's important, and again, case by case, I think it's better to let the situation play out, find out what happened, what didn't happen, rather than well, we don't want to be associated with a mere, even just an allegation, and so they just you know cut a player. I, I think that 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 may even just be like you know veiled cancel culture when you think about it, but we won't go there. Jamal Adams. Um, <laughs> I heard Florio make a good point today talking about how, you know, they've traded away these, <laughs> these first round picks to get him and they didn't make a deal with him as part of that acquisition. Basically, and they're kind of just, you know, letting that situation hang out there. How much power does that give Jamal Adams in terms of negotiation? Because you think that Seahawks would, think to themselves well we gave up all this stuff to get him we didn't give it up just to have him here one year so i mean does he does he wield more power in that sense you know i have heard that argument before and, and i think it's it's true that when you trade for a guy and you give up as much as the seahawks gave up for adams that he's going to have some degree of leverage um in contract talks but i don't think that those situations are always equal and, and i think this is different with Adams, remember when they acquired him, he had two years left on his contract. And from what I understand from talking to people in the organization, um, you know, one of the reasons there, there were a couple reasons why they didn't want to extend him right away. One was there was no rush because he had the two years left on his deal. Um, so there was no rush to do that. They, and they wanted to make sure that they knew who they were paying a ton of money to before paying him. Remember, they got burned on that in 2013 with Percy Harvin. They they did yep. the opposite of this. They they traded for him and immediately signed him 
to, I, I think what at the time was the biggest contract in team history. And it turns out, you know, they thought they could manage him and, and they couldn't. And I'm not saying that Jamal Adams is the volatile type of personality that, that Percy Harvin was, but the point is they wanted to get to know the guy before they paid him a, a bunch of money. The other part of that, from what I understand was, you know, they, they didn't feel like the financial landscape last year was, was the right time to do a deal, not knowing what the salary cap would be like in future years because of, of course, the revenue shortfalls with the pandemic and all that. And so it just didn't make sense for them to, to do a deal uh, last year. And as far as, you know, the idea of, well, how could you not at some point do a deal with a guy who you gave up all that capital for a first and a third round pick this year, among other picks. And their thought on that was, well, he's got two years left on his deal. He's 25 years old, and at the time he had an all-pro season on his resume. So say if worse came to worse this offseason, if they couldn't get a deal done with him, well, he still has one year left on his deal. He's still twenty, you know, he's still only one year older, still in his mid-20s, so still a young guy. And their thought was if they couldn't get a deal done with him this offseason, based on the huge haul that, that they paid to you know get him last year, they could still get – you know, quite a bit back in return, maybe even a first round pick that's better than one of the first rounders they gave up for him. So that was their thinking at the time. I, I don't know how much that really <clears throat> comes into play now, because from what I understand, you know, talking to, to somebody in the organization earlier this off season, you know, there is a lot of confidence that they would get a deal done with him at some point this off season. Now the potentially challenging thing there that I could see, you know, being a snag there is if he insists on being paid like a pass rusher, um, mm. You know, as opposed to a safety, just because what he does—that's what he does best. Yeah, pass rusher. And now you're talking about, you know, the, the top of the safety market is 16 million dollars. Well, the pass rusher market is above that, and so I can see that getting tricky. But again, from what I understand, there's confidence in the organization that a deal will get done at some point this offseason. God, the idea that somebody else—I mean, you're right—he's still a young man. The idea that somebody else would then trade a first round pick for him I'm not I mean, saying gave yeah. up two first round picks for him and so I, think I know I know it's almost like if their thought though is well if we can't extend him we'll just trade him I mean like that being your fallback plan is also a dicey plan because I mean I, I don't know that you could bank on that but I guess I suppose weirder things have happened um, do you think that whatever deal he gets is going to be the, assuming he stays here, is going to be the type that could hamstring the team to the extent that maybe like, you know, a quarterback deal might? Yeah, that, that's a good one. I mean, just, yeah, I mean, I think the the any deal of that magnitude, I think, could, yeah, in, in the later years when, when the, the, you know, the cap charges get high. Yeah, I, th I think there's that risk, but. You know, I think there was all there's all there was also that risk with the Bobby Wagner deal that they did a couple of years ago and mm. the Tyler Lockett deal that they just did. So I, I don't think that that's exclusive to Adams. I think that's just the nature of whenever you're talking about uh, deals that are that big. And, you know, I think the, the risk there, you know, again, I mentioned this earlier about, you know, the, the not you know, wanting to know the personality. I think that they feel like they they're comfortable with that personality and they're comfortable with, um, you know, how he's going to fit in their locker room and how he's going to fit with their coaching staff long-term. And so um, there's always a risk, but I, they, they feel like they're comfortable with that. This will be my last one. And it's probably one that people probably want me to ask you. What's your sense? I mean, it's going to be 
quite a while before the Seahawks pick if things stay the way they are right now. They're picking, what, 56th or 59th? 56th. 56. Um, do you see them picking there, or do you see them trading maybe or maybe trading and then picking sooner, picking down? How do you, how do you think they handle this with so few picks? Well, I mean, yeah, there, there's a couple schools of thought there, and I think a lot of people who are familiar with the Seahawks' history of, of trading back and, the, you know, I'll just give you some quick numbers. Yeah. Uh, since 2010, when Carolyn Schneider arrived, they have made 105 draft picks, which is the second most in the NFL in that span. They've never picked fewer than eight players in any draft, and mm-hmm. they've averaged a little over nine and a half uh, in the 11 drafts since they arrived. And so like people who are aware of their history of trading back and acquiring more picks and look at the fact that they only have three picks this year, I think most people would assume that it, it's it's – probably like a lock that they're going to trade back from 56. But I, I, I am not convinced of that, nor am I convinced that they're going to end up with a lot more than three picks. And I'll, I'll explain to you why. You know, we just talked about Adams. I reported this a while ago. One of the reasons why they were comfortable giving up what they gave up for him was because of all of the uncertainty with this draft. They, they knew last summer when they traded for Adams – that this draft was going to be very uncertain with you know how uncertain the college season right was. you don't know who's going to opt out you don't know what conferences are going to place you know actually play um, you don't know they didn't know what the access would be like to these guys in the pre-draft process meaning is there going to be a combine where they can watch these guys are they going to be able to bring them in uh, for pre-draft visits where they get to know them and where they get to put them through medical tests. So there was just so much uncertainty with this draft that they felt like if there was ever a year to go for it with a big trade like that, that that was it. So to some degree, they've already shown us how they feel about this draft. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we see them do is they, they, you know, trade back and acquire picks in the middle and later rounds. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just to kind of nerd out a little bit on the draft stuff. Hopefully people don't find this boring, but you know, one, one thing that I've heard from people in the NFL is that there's going to be medical question marks with just a lot of prospects in general, but that's going to be concentrated with the later round guys because, um, you know, a lot of the top prospects got invited to this sort of, you know, rework, reimagined combine. And so there's medical information on a lot of the top guys, but there's not medical information on the late round guys and the guys that teams could not bring in for pre-draft visits. And so Hmm. it also, Tom, the talent pool is just more, it's shallower this year because a lot of would be prospects went back to school, took advantage of the NCAA rules that gave them extra year of eligibility. So there's the talent pool is not as deep and there's medical questions with guys, especially in the late round. So if you're the Seahawks, are are those late round picks going to be less valuable to you? I would imagine that they are. I would also imagine that they, they might be more conservative um, with guys coming off injuries, given what happened with Daryl Taylor last year, um, and given you know they their own medical staff missed on that projection of how long it would take him to come back and get on the field, and so if their own medical staff couldn't get that right, are, are they really going to want to rely on medical information that comes from you know a college program, the secondhand medical information? I, so I could see them being more conservative with injured players, and maybe that gives them a, a fewer you know a smaller list of players that they would consider drafting. And so all that said, you know, I, I could certainly see them trading back from 56. Uh, if maybe there's a cluster of players that they, they would feel good about maybe picking 10 spots later. 
but again, I could also see them picking at 56 and I could see them, you know, only ending up with three, maybe four selections this year. God, that's the, that's the tricky part. I mean, do you want to get to a situation where you can at least have a certain amount of picks or do you want to make sure you can pick somewhat? I mean, you start trading back from 56. I mean, you're already in the, the second half of the second round there, right? So you start going any lower. I mean, they may not even be picking in the, in the first two rounds at all. Um, and I know that, look, they, they made some pretty darn good third round picks, over the, I mean, Tyler Lockett comes to mind. Russell, wait, Russell was, he was a third yeah, round pick, wasn't he? Runner. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, so Rock maybe. Number 90 overall. <laughs> right, so. He I mean, was maybe, before John Carroll and Peach Maybe that's just a sweet spot for them. Uh, who knows? But it's interesting you bring up the Daryl Taylor thing, though, and his health. Do you think that teams feel like they need to atone sometimes for picks that they made last year. Not with, not as far as like the media or fans are concerned, but just as far as they're concerned. I mean, you mentioned like, oh God, well, we, you know, we misevaluated this medical thing last year with him. We can't make that mistake again. Like, is that a consideration? Like personal, you know, prior mistakes? I mean, you're talking about like, pers- like they, they, they didn't, they wouldn't, they would want to avoid that same mistake because of the perception that they didn't learn from there. Yeah. Even if just as far as the perception, like, I mean, self-perception, forget about like what we, what we think, but like Pete Carroll wouldn't want to go to bed at night and Schneider think like, okay, well, we drafted these two, uh, you know, pass rushers two years in a row. Neither one of them can play because they can't get on the field, you know, like that. Whereas had they, had they not done it the year before, maybe it's not a consideration this year. Yeah, I, I think a situation like the Taylor one, I, I, what I'm saying is I think that that might just make them, might give them a reminder about the risk of guys coming off serious injuries. Yeah. I think that getting that reminder and having that situation, I mean, they, they thought that he was going to play for them last year. They thought he was going to be on the field and contributing and be an actual part of their of their pass rush. So they definitely did not expect him to be on the non-football injury list all season. So they, their medical evaluation on him was off. And so I just think that, that that is going to be a a very fresh reminder and a very bad reminder that um, there is a risk that you take when you're, when you're drafting guys coming off serious injuries. I mean, he had a titanium rod inserted into his leg in January. Um, That was a very serious injury. And, and, you know, I think it's just going to, I think that's going to be, I don't even want to say in the back of their minds. I, I think that's going to be on yeah. their mind. Um, and again, you know, when if, if you don't, excuse me, <clears throat> if you don't, you know, if you don't, if a team doesn't have the opportunity to get its hands on a, on a prospect, whether it's at the combine or whether it's in a pre-draft visit where, you know, they put them through a physical and all that. Um, you know, I know, I know teams, some teams share medical information uh, with each other. So like if, if one team, brings a guy in for a visit if they have a good relationship with another team you know they might and the other team didn't bring him in they might share that medical information but you know if, if they don't have that medical information they might have to rely on what a college you know program is telling them and you know there's just no guarantee that that information is, is going to be reliable and as they saw with taylor there's there's no guarantee that their own medical information is going to be reliable so um as far as perception yeah i, I think that I think that that might play into it too, you know, as much as, uh, you know, teams might say that, you know, they put the blinders on and, and whatnot and they don't mm-hmm. care about what they say. I'm sure they do. Uh, and I'm sure that they wouldn't want to have to deal with the criticism over making the same mistake two years in a row if it ends up being a mistake. But I think the biggest thing is they just don't want to 
they don't they don't want to make that stake that mistake because of what it means for their team. Do you have any uh, titanium limbs? Uh, no, no. But the song "Phantom Limb" by the Shins came on yesterday when I was in the car. Uh, so I listened to that, but I, don't, I have no phantom limbs, no titanium limbs, nothing like that. Is that what that song's about? <laughs> phantom limb is like some sort of weird sensation that you get. I, I don't know. I don't know if they but I'm sure that they were singing metaphorically, metaphorically about that. So I don't really know what the song was about. The song's not, it's not about Daryl Taylor as far as we know, though. No, okay. no. <laughs> All right, Brady. Thanks a bunch, man. I appreciate. Are you looking forward to draft night? You. Well, by the way, how are you covering that? Like, are, are they having everybody over there, or how's that going to work? You're looking at admission control for uh, <laughs> the Seahawks draft right here. Oh hell oh, yeah! On that TV right there, admission control. <laughs> oh, last year, man. You know, it's 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 that's one of the things I miss. Uh, one one of you know. One of my favorite parts of the offseason is usually going to the Seahawks facility uh, to cover the draft just because they let us say, here's, yeah. here's just behind the scenes thing. No, they let us, the media people, in. You know, we're, we're not working from the normal media room there at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. They actually let us up into one of their defensive meeting rooms just because there's more people there so the bigger room can accommodate all the people who are there covering the draft. And that meeting room – is right next to their cafeteria. And so we get to eat all of the fancy cafeteria food uh, that they have. And so, you know, it's usually I feel like I gain a few pounds just because I'm gorging on food in between Seahawks picks. So I'll yeah. miss that, I guess, uh, health-wise. It be- might be it. Between the Seahawks and the Mariners' food accommodations, like in the press boxes or wherever, you can put on a couple of pounds pretty quickly. Yeah doing that yeah because the food is good it's not it's not shit like it it's good and it's not you know that expensive i don't know it's yeah i, I haven't been to the, i haven't covered a mariners game in years but wasn't there like an ice cream uh ice cream freezer there in the- yeah a lot of the time it's locked or at least as i remember but yeah there is one there yeah and there was a soft serve thing there too for a while wow. oh yeah big time all right brady thanks so much man appreciate it yeah you bet tom thanks all for right. having me take care all right, great stuff from Brady there. God, can you imagine the Seahawks only having like a couple of picks? You got to think they would trade. As I said, that that sweet spot for them does seem to be right in the third round there. If they can come away, look, I know everybody would love to draft a big time corner, but if they can come away with a, a, a franchise impacting player like a Jordan Brooks. I think he's going to be a franchise impacting player, not franchise changing. Like Russell Wilson is a franchise changing player. Earl Thomas franchise changing player. Maybe Jordan Brooks ends up being that, but like, um, like Bobby Wagner, not Bobby Wagner. Um, KJ Wright, franchise impact player, to be able to rely at that position for so many years on consistently very good play, that's franchise impacting player. That's the kind of guy I want to be able to come away with at least one of each year. And the rest of them, I'd like to be at least <laughs> contributors, but, I, you know, at the very least, you know, make the roster, that sort of thing. But, you know, the, the Seahawks, it's a tough team to make. They do have, they've got some needs, no doubt, but they've got a lot of really good players. It's not an easy team to make um, and get consistent playing time. I mean, look, even with the 
the pass rush situation as it was last year. I wanted to see a lot more Alton Robinson, and I think that we will this year. But they had enough pass rushers last year. Not that they are all playing at an elite level, but they had enough there where it was still hard for him to make the team. So the draft for a a team that's already very good is tricky in terms of getting that neck. Like if the Jets go out there and get Zach Wilson and he turns them around, they go 11 and five. Everybody's going to say, oh, look what the Jets did. They had such a better draft in the Seahawks. Well, yeah, they pick it second. What do you expect? It's a lot. I mean, theoretically, it's easier to, to, to change the fortunes of your team if you're picking that much higher. Not only are the Seahawks not picking high, they aren't picking at all until 56. So they're going to have to be really clever about who they end up uh, acquiring this time around. But as usual, it'll be fascinating. And you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I don't know why I didn't say this earlier. I'm going to do a wrap up each day after the draft. I'll do one after the first two nights and then probably the last two. You know what? Maybe not um, Maybe not Saturday, but that Sunday I'll do it. That'll probably work. Oh, but you know what? They're not even picking. Ah, screw it. I'll do it anyway. See NFL. We'll talk some NFL. Be more fun that way, huh? All right. Take care, everybody. Check out the podcast, Believe Podcast Network, on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, etc., 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 etc. Take For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.